Well, after a long time, Matt, I am finally officially uh, a cable cutter, right? So after I would say it was roughly Whoa. a 20-year relationship with DirecTV, I finally you know, canceled it, and I sent back what I would term um, – the oldest uh, direct TV receiver <laughs> ever uh, still in use, I guess is the way to say that. And so, and I don't know if you've canceled anything lately, at least in case of direct TV, like shockingly, they're like, we need you to send all of this back. Now they pay for it. So it's not like a big deal, but it's just sort of like, mm-hmm. I was, it was more like, you sh- are you sure? Like you're really, this stuff is pretty uh, old. You sure you I, I remember, I, I remember like canceling time Warner and they're like, you have to bring all the stuff back to, and you couldn't mail it. You had to go in person to the Time Warner office. And then when I got there, there were like 30 people in line for one person. I mean, like Time Warner, they 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 had just a hatred of their customers. And then if you wanted to leave, you know, then you were like, you know, they you were dead to them. They wanted to hate your corpse. <laughs> uh, well, now tell me where you're at now. What is your? I, I don't even know in Australia. Do you, is does Australia have cable? Or did you already cut the cable? You never had cable in Australia. I never had what, cable. What's your yeah, situation? I, I've been streaming the whole time. Um, streaming with a US VPN. So like, I Netflix is in this cat and mouse with the VPN. Like right now, I, I don't really care that I'm on Australian Netflix. Um, we're on Australian Disney plus, uh, I was on like the, the bundle with ESPN and Hulu, mm-hmm. um, in the U S but I canceled that, uh, after a while. Cause I wasn't really using Hulu. Um, and so now, now I've got like, so, so the, the permanent, you know, quote unquote, semi-permanent subscriptions are Netflix and Disney plus, and they're both Australian and Disney plus Australia carries all the Hulu content. Um, so like the, so shows that I was watching on Hulu, I mostly get there except for, um, the Wu-Tang saga, (laughs) which means like, you know, once a year I have to re-up my, my, uh, my Hulu (laughs) subscription so I can watch the Wu-Tang saga. Um, yeah. And then, and then, you know, uh, the Apple and, uh, Paramount and, who else will get like a three month subscription, uh-huh. you know, to, to like, you know, catch up on that one or two shows that you were watching on those channels. Um, my wife got a new iPhone, so we got, you know, the Apple get TV. Some stuff for free for a few months, right? Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, you cancel them. So really it's just Netflix and Disney plus. Uh, oh, and then of course, Amazon prime, right. Okay. You know, but you know, there's That's not just sort a of like of default, content. right? So, well, I yeah. thought like the reason um, this was a good topic for us was that we should like put this through the lens of digital transformation, right? So, okay, so here we are. Like, it's like imagine we collectively all started a digital transformation project, and I'm gonna uh, say the starting date was 25 years ago because here are the dates I looked up. So, TiVo, which I don't know for those in the uninitiated was sort of the first DVR. Like I'm going to call that they made it popular. Essentially this idea that you could just basically put in it. And it really was a small computer under your, your TV. And I know it will seem crazy to people listening. Now it was earth shattering. The fact that you could just record stuff, it would show up and it had this phenomenal. I think to this day, it still has one of the best, if you will, TV-based interfaces to like, you know, watch shows, skip commercials. I mean, I can't explain to people that maybe weren't alive or didn't watch TV at this period, like how revolutionary it was. So that came out in March 31st of 1999. So I'm calling that as like the beginning of the, the, I, uh, I, I'm the sure I had, I, I, I probably had mine in March or April. Right. I mean, it was the kind of thing I, yeah. like you went to someone's house and you saw it and you were like, yep. I need to go home immediately Sold. and get that, right? Yes. Now and and, and I, I even belong to the camp of upgrading my TiVos. <laughs> like now, so still? I was you know, or, or clone, you cloning the hard drives yeah, onto yeah. larger hard drives, you know, uh, hacking on them. So yes, I I was all in on TiVo. All right, so that was ninety nine, and then Netflix um, was the DVD service. Now that launched in nineteen ninety eight, but I think we can yeah. go back in history and say that you know, Reed Hastings had the vision. That like this was the precursor to streaming. So I'm going to say, you know, that was sort of the mark of like streaming is coming and Netflix streaming 
officially launched in 2007, which I which is actually not that long ago when you think about it. Like I would yeah. have guessed longer wow. when I was looking these dates up. So, I mean, you know, 15, 16 years ago, and now they're like, uh, you know, industry powerhouse. Absolutely. So, so stock I, dropped half last year. But so yeah. I think we should say to ourselves right now, it's like, okay, so we're 25 years in, in this conversion from old school cable slash analog TV to what will be like somehow in the future, right? Like, you know, that will all be, we, there will be no more cable TV and everything will, will be never great. understand channels. That's right. And I think <laughs> we should, we should basically score it out. Like how close are we to closing out the digital transformation of TV? So we'll do a little report card. So, and I, and I want to get your take. So the first is, uh, I think if we were like writing the requirements, we'd say first thing we want is almost all scripted TV and movies should be available on demand. Like in 1999, we'd be like, hey, listen, we shouldn't have to wait and do all this crazy stuff. We should just have what we want to see from a scripted point of view on demand available anytime. I'm going to score that as an A. I think for this point, yeah. it's pretty much everything is there. There are a few limited windows where things get I mean, released in a movie like theater. A, a, mm -hmm. An A minus because you still have like reality TV shows and stuff that come out weekly and, and there's a little, little know, lag doesn't always show lag, up right right and, and 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 like i you know i'm not watching them but i know like you know some of my kids friends and stuff are like you know oh did you watch you know the bachelor right Australia last so that tv night? is like, a little it's it's close but like there it's still not a hundred percent available immediately on demand sometimes there's a little window where like you have to wait a yeah, week yeah, or yeah. something like that all right so that one i think we're doing pretty good on now yeah. the next one was can we stream high quality video without having any and, and and with sound and surround sound and not feel like this is definitely a lot worse than like a Blu-ray player or you know just some high quality? Yeah, and I think totally there. I think that's good, right? Like I think you can get 4K. You can get. Uh, I don't when I'm watching a, a movie, I don't really complain about like the video quality, artifacts now, and stuff. That yeah. rarely happens anymore. Now, yeah. before we get email from like the Blu-ray enthusiast and everyone starts to explain to us how much better Blu-ray well, is, they're not Blu-ray enthusiasts anymore, right? Well, they're isn't it? Isn't it still that? Like, isn't isn't Blu-ray just like 1080p? Did, no, did, no, no, no. I thought what, what is, I, I believe. I don't know. I thought Blu-ray was like the highest, like highest years. 4K. You know, you can get it, but the uncompressed versions, like you know, like huge, massive yeah, yeah. ones. So. So I didn't, I I didn't know say, they had 4K Blu-ray. I don't. Maybe we're wrong, but I just want to say to all those people: it's like I understand physical media still can give us higher bandwidth, but I'm fine with what we're getting. I'm going to give that an A. Very, very happy with it. So okay, so I think we're we're doing well there. Like if we're, it's almost Despite like as, your slow American internet speeds. That's right. Now that's a whole nother issue. <laughs> another, another day we'll have a report card on internet uh, in America, and it, let me tell you, it's how, not going to be good. How did this happen? I don't know. That's just, I mean, you know, because I moved here. Do you, do you have do you have two hours for me for to years. explain explain yeah. monopolies and you know the the lack of competition? Anyway, let's move on. Let's keep going. Okay, now now we're starting to get into like it's almost like we're uh, with our uh, our parents are whether our kids teachers like now they're starting to get to like the more difficult subjects it's like can you find the stuff uh new stuff to watch here i'm giving in a c because it's sort of like today stuff is still everywhere right you have all the apps you just mentioned it's kind of confusing mostly word of mouth is still what you need to discover a new television show and in with all the talk about ai and machine learning and things like that. It's not like you can just pull up your device of choice, you know, and just say, and it kind of knows, right? Like, oh, of course, Brandon wants to see X, Y, Z. Know though. I mean, I, I, the recommendations are generally terrible. Well, that's what I mean. That's why I think this whole area is awful. Like, one, they tend to hide things. I say give up. Yeah. Well, I was going to say, like, one, I think they things that they know you want to watch, they almost actively hide it because they want you to, like, be showing you other stuff. And then, two, they're showing you stuff that, that in theory, like, especially the Netflix recommendations, like, there's nothing more inaccurate than a Netflix recommendation where it's, like, 95% chance you'll like it. It's like, no, I no, no way. It's, like, almost nothing is recommended to me. Do I like it at a high level? So. At the best I can say here is is that's basically a C, right? It's like you can kind of find some stuff, a couple apps trying to figure it out. But like this idea of universal search, long, long way to go on that one. Um, yeah. Now, the cable bundle itself, is the cable bundle actually dead? At this point, I'm going to rate that as a C because still, and we'll get into this in a minute. I, I'm going to, yeah. I mean, Live so, sports. So it, like the only way to like see live sports is still having to navigate some weird I know. cable Dude, bundle. But, 
But did did you read the new uh, stratechery about uh, NBA versus Formula One? I uh, well, I've not read it today, but I know I know okay, of it. Go ahead, that, explain that it, one. That mm-hmm. one is exactly what you're talking about. I, I when 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 you told me that you got rid of Directv, I was like, did Brandon just read that article? Because it talks about the fact that um, sports viewing is dropping like a rock uh, for for like the NBA. And the problem for them is they're losing people because all their content's on cable and everything's locked up there. And then like they put the finals on ABC, which not many people have land TV or terrestrial TV or whatever. And so you're, you're, you're like losing gener- you know, a whole generation of potential fans. And the only people who are like left are, are your super fans like you who are like price insensitive and then you know and he talks about all the things that you know formula one's doing to overcome this um you know shows like the the netflix show drive to survive uh, where yeah. they, and, and they're making their drivers much more accessible to 100 you know, right. the media and well, pushing they're pushing all these people and, uh-huh. and 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 stories out there while the nba is just like chasing dollars for from cable and losing the audience and i i feel the same thing's happening with with college football yeah, and so um, this is why I say the this is why I'm giving the cable bundle only a C and not an F because well I, yeah I'm going to give it like a, a D well here's the reason you know, like it, it's it's, the, it's failing it's on its way to failure hundred percent it's on its way to failing and I and that's what we want in the digital transformation uh, grading system when it's gone we'll know that we've achieved digital transformation here now the reason I'm giving a C here is that like. YouTube TV is what I've recently embraced because that basically they have slimmed down the cable bundle, right? So it really only yeah. has the sports and they have freed us from the tyranny of Spectrum, DirecTV, just I'm the archaic that, yeah. cable TV you know, interfaces, right? So I like it where it's going, but like we still have a long way to go there. But YouTube TV so far, my you know initial about a month or so of using it has been I'm pretty happy with it. So you can still get so, there. So do they do they do just like a pass through to you know Fox and pretty much and yeah they license and... the channels just like a cable company will and okay. you know you can go on YouTube TV and it has like a live tab so you can just watch it like old school TV and then they've got like you know what they show is a DVR but it really is just like you know everything that you could possibly want to TiVo or you know record is just sitting there so nice. it's like so it's good it's solid but like. It's clearly a stopgap, right? It's like we really should just get rid of that and have like, you know, the sports channels or the subscriptions to like F1 you were referring to, but we're not there yet. So I'm going to give that a C. Live sports, we already hit on. I'm basically giving that a D. And when I do that, it's like Formula One is exactly what you want. It's like you can subscribe just to Formula One. You can watch it wherever you want. For all the other sports, like especially uh, NFL, college football, uh, I don't. I think cricket in India is really big. You know, the same thing. They have the same problem there around getting you know uh, that that kind of you know in a a simple package, right? It's like we are held hostage to this point. The cable companies, I would almost say this way, the last thing that they are preventing from us actually getting rid of them is live sports. And they've locked the rights up to the, most of the major sports league, including you know even like Premier League and stuff like that, for well, probably another ten years. Go ahead. My my son has the NBA League Pass, mm-hmm. and it seems pretty great because because it thinks you know we're in Australia. Uh, it doesn't know that we're like in the U.S. Um, or, or it thinks we're in the U.S., but you know we're in Australia. Uh, he gets blackouts for Los for the Angeles? national games, basically Wednesdays and Saturdays for us, right? So it's like so again, like League Pass and NFL ticket, like it's close, right? And this is this was a big sticking point with Apple recently. It's like Apple just bought MLS rights, right? And they got mm-hmm. everything. There are no blackouts. But with the NBA, the NFL, college football, even if you get the quote unquote digital package, like your son, right? He's gonna get blacked out on certain days, right? Or you're gonna and, and to get around the blackout, you're gonna have to subscribe to like YouTube TV or ABC or something else, right? So so there's still like, I mean, it's just the last gasp, right? It's like literally the sports rights are the only thing propping up, I would say, CBS, Fox, and some of these other companies. Cause it's just like if they gave that up, we it would be perfect. So so to me, this is the last moment, right? And it's like, and it, but it's probably, unfortunately, going to take about ten years for all the other sports rights to rotate through. So it's kind of oh, depressing, sure. yeah, uh, for but, us. But you're you're now you're now uh, you've abandoned the ship. That's right. I'm trying to. Okay, so now I would say, let's kind of think of like you know we're we're selling the business and the, like and we're doing our uh, our. Uh, 
uh, digital transformation uh, QBR and would say, okay, what is the main benefit we've, we've actually realized from this? I would say two things. One is that cable and satellite companies, for the most part, they're going away and there is no need to like, if you will, quote unquote, roll a truck anymore for someone to actually get access to programming. Once you have an internet connection, it's now pretty much self-service. You pick your streaming box of choice, you sign up for your services, you don't have to call anyone to come out to your house, put a hole in your you know, outside wall, drag a cable around the house to get it in the bedroom. Uh, so I'd say that is pretty good, right? That has actually reduced a, a ton of cost. And I think on the consumer side, I think we can say we've got more choices, we're free from the stupid cable boxes, and we can watch, for the most part, outside our houses. Whereas before, like you only had cable at home, now you can take your iPad or your mobile device, and you can pretty much watch wherever you are. So, you, so if we're kind of selling this digital transformation project 25 years in, I would say those are the benefits. What do you think, Matt? Have I missed anything, or have I oversold any of the benefits? I, I, I mean, I, th- I think as, as the... Uh... Uh, you know, if, if I'm the NBA or NFL or, you know, whoever, um, I should be able to maximize my dollars, you know, with these sorts of a la carte packages. Um, I do think that's a little short-sighted. I think that, uh, I mean, growing up, you know, I, I think we probably both subscribe to like uh, T- TBS and WGN and, or WGH, whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, so we, we get like, all of the Atlanta Hawks games or, you know, all of the (laughs) Chicago Bulls games. uh All right. And you would like watch these basketball games, you know, for, you know, in markets that, you know, were just, you didn't really care that much about, but it was on. And I feel like, um, and and this goes back to what you were saying about, you know, machine learning and AI trying to make recommendations for you. I, I, I believe that like the, you know, sports, sports are losing out on casual fans completely because, if you have to pay to watch something, you're, you know, unless it's part of a bundle that you're getting, you're less likely to act, you know, just kind of casually start watching things. Yeah. Um, which is what like formula one, like I, you know, absolutely never accidentally watched formula one, but I could see how, like, if, if people got into, you know, the human interest show on Netflix, you know, that's part of the story there is like, they're, they're having this, you know, resurgence, at least in the U S of interest. Um, because they're able to attract more users. And I feel like, you know, the NFL, NBA, you know, college football are extracting maximum dollars at their long-term Yeah, at the expense uh, of growing decline. the game, right? Yeah. yeah. So, yeah. So I think that would be one downside. We basically but but say- you know what? You know what? Like when we're doing our digital, like, you know, kickoff or whatever, like nobody wants to hear that story. They just want to hear like, can you fix That's my true. I think that would be, we put that on solve, the slide. You know, the we, next three quarters of, of problems. I think we put it on our roadmap. We'd be like, Hey, I think you're right. One, we'd have to say, we need to uh, help sports leagues out. We need to make sure that we're giving them a way to transition over. Right. So that's gotta be on our roadmap. I think the other thing we could say is that uh, if we're sitting in the room, we could say something like, Hey, weren't, wasn't all this supposed to be cheaper for the end customer? And it's like, it's definitely not cheaper. By the time you like add up all the services, like it's about like neutral at best. So, so we didn't really get that yet. Right. So we'd have to say our roadmap benefits are those. And then, um, and I think kind of like on the roadmap there, I also would say, you know, to me, like one of like the unusual or surprising like things out of this is that like, I think the Apple TV, now I'm talking about the device now, not the service. I actually think the Apple TV device is like um, silently a huge hit. It's like, it's sort of a, a, uh, if you will, souped up over provisioned cable box. That's, I think by far and away, the best streamer out there, right? Like when you're watching stuff, like everything else is so slow. And I think it's weird that like the iPhone and the ARM chips, all the things we talk about have sort of like led to this incredible cable box that's super responsive that like, I don't think anyone really (laughs) intended it to come out. It's almost like the benefits of the iPhone and M1 chips like fall all the way down to the stream Mm -hmm. box because like, I don't know if you've turned on, like I've got several TVs that have like the quote unquote um, smart TV. And my TV takes like 20 seconds to boot up. Yeah, and you're like, you can like literally, you can clock it. You're like, you can feel the disc like, like, you know, booting up and it's like, wow, Apple TV is like has really figured it out. And I don't even think Apple even cares. Right. That's what I also think is funny about it is like they just seem they, because these are the old chips. These are like the throwaway chips. They throw in these things. I oh, assume. yeah. yeah so yeah. so it's like good job, Apple. Good job, Apple, for not trying and winning, if you will. I believe they have well, won oh, the man. streaming box game. And, and what's crazy is, you know, like 
somewhere there's a debug console on your tv where there's just like linux booting up and it's doing like you know a disk check or something and you're sitting there like what the hell you know and so it's it's you know they're hiding it behind their big you know to whatever tv brand logo you have but in the background it's just like linux booting up oh, yeah and they've, they've bought like a rock you know a rock bottom you know uh ssd or usb drive that's you know slow as sin and you know it's just like it's just painful to know that that's what's happening with the, with, with what should just be a display absolutely, right? absolutely it should just be like powered on instead of they're like no 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 we need to spy on you so yeah so i think <laughs> and we you're put like, that we would put that on the roadmap. Be like, hey, if if these TVs are going to try to like be the connected TVs, they need to up their games. They need better processors, better discs. And if not, everyone's just going to use the Apple TV. The other thing I think we got to put on the roadmap here, and I think you kind of alluded to it before, it's like too many services, right? So I think for before we're really going to complete this, we need. I I'm going to say Netflix and Disney. They're they're in there. They're gonna they're gonna if you will uh, be around for a while. They'll have some longevity. I think this whole. Peacock, HBO, Discovery, Paramount. I don't know. I think you mentioned some other ones. Like they're going to all have to fight it out and just like essentially have to join up and become like the third service, in my opinion. Because once, once they do that, and this could take again, we're we're talking years here. Like it'll take a while. Everyone first has to launch a new service, then everyone has to you know change, say they're going to change the world, and then everyone has to fail at the new service, and then eventually some private equity or somebody comes in and be like, let me start. Buying up your catalogs and let me put you in uh, and, one and more service it to, to Tubi or Tubi, Tubi, yeah, whatever, and, right? And, and, and Roku, who will slap commercials in every thirty but minutes. Somehow we have to. We got too many services. Like it just is. I don't think it's going to live, right? So we we can probably have like to your point. We probably need one more paid service with those commercials, and we probably need like a Tubi, right? To be like, okay, everything else is just. You well, know, is it Apple TV? We're sending it. Well, that's the other one. It could be Apple TV. It could be YouTube TV. It could be Amazon. But somebody has to like figure this out, right? Somebody has to like take all these other four companies and put them out of their misery. And also, too, this would help all of us in families where someone will eventually discover a show. They're like, oh, it's on Peacock. And then you have to be like, we don't have that one. We're going to sign up and then we're going to shut it down three months later. So, so I think that's on our roadmap is we got to basically get rid of, you know, I'll say combined. Let's not say get rid of, let's say, you know, strategically combined four of these streaming services well, into one. All those other services, they need to form themselves a good bundle. <laughs> that's right. Ideally, you just bring back one the app. table bundle, man. That's fine. Let's just get there. That's what I'm saying. That's what's going to happen, and, right? And they could charge you 90 bucks a month and you'll only really care about two pieces of the bundle yeah and then to your your original thing about sports i think i think at this point we're going to say it's amazon apple tv or google through youtube somebody has to decide because those companies have so much money they are the ones i basically can if you will quote unquote rent the sports rights throw them in their uh bundle of choice whether that be apple tv plus or you know amazon prime or whatever uh, because they are the only ones that have enough money i think to eventually like basically pay the leagues what they want and they can basically just slam it in with their other stuff right another reason to watch and amazon seems to be the lead there with the nfl apple has mls and youtube is going to have uh, nfl uh sunday tickets so hopefully at the end you know all the sports i think will event will end up with like the big if you will giants of the space so what do you think? Is that like a reasonable roadmap putting together? Sure. And I'll just keep downloading here in Australia the next day. All right. And then I think on our final slide here, we'd be like, well, what's the potential disruption, right? Like what could like mess all this up? It's like, I don't know. Like I read something about, you know, 4K basically coming to over the air. And it's like, I don't know. Like does the antenna come back at some point? Will we basically figure out that like, oh, actually digital cables, uh, digital signals rather, uh, broadcast over over the air actually are really, really good. We can get really high quality pictures. Like does somebody like figure that out? But there's no content on the terrestrial stuff. That's what I mean. I I guess that's what I just wondered. Does somebody like figure that and be like, actually, here's a way that we can do it real cheap. And and they somehow come up with some new content and it's just real easy to get. I had had like an over the air DVR uh yeah like a homemade one uh back in the u.s and here, like here in australia like it doesn't work because you know it's different you know all different equipment and i don't really care but like you you can that stuff is there i mean it's it's accessible it's just uh you know it's spousal acceptance will be low and you know maybe you can cram it onto your your plex somehow but uh yeah i, right. I, I, I don't think i don't think it's coming back 
right. Well, we'll check in. So, okay, 25 years in, I'm going to say we're about uh, 50% of the way there. So, Matt, you and I will reconvene here in 10 years to see um, if the project was finally completed. Software Defined Talk is brought to you by Matt Geek Gab. Today, I've got something for you Apple users, the Matt Geek Gab podcast. The show is in its 17th year, providing tips, cool stuff found, and answers to your questions about anything and everything Apple. Yes, that's right. Hosts Dave Hamilton and John F. Braum take time each week to actually provide tech support to as many listeners as possible while learning at least five new things weekly themselves. The great part is that they always make sure each answer has actionable tips with easy instructions for listeners, too. For example, dictating smiley face to Surrey will put the little text-based smiley emoji in your message. Saying reply with audio to Surrey will let you record an audio message, which is super handy if you're in the car and don't want to just dictate to text. If you use an iPhone, a Mac, an iPad, an Apple Watch, an Apple TV, or simply a technology enthusiast, you're going to love learning more about your technology with your two new favorite geeks over at Mac Geek Gab. Get your questions answered and have some fun along the way. Visit MacGeekGab.com or search for Mac Geek Gab on Apple Podcasts, YouTube, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Don't get caught without having Mac Geek Gab in your rotation. And we thank them for sponsoring our show. All right, Matt. Well, you know, we just talked about a long-running digital transformation project, but there's even one that I'm going to say that's been running uh, longer. It's basically in the, here in the U.S., the Internal Revenue Service, also known as the IRS, um, they oh. are in a bad state, right? They're, I guess their technology was you know, essentially somewhere between... 25 to 64 years old, um, and in, in some of the software is up to 15 versions behind. So this basically comes down to this: the method to collect taxes in the United States uh, is, for the most part, I think we can say the systems are not being updated at all, right? And as we move forward, I think yeah. this is potentially. I'll be interested. I'd be interested in your take here. Like, is this basically the potentially the largest? digital transformation project out there, like maybe the most complex, like, is there like a nuclear uh, power system somewhere that would be more complicated or, or is this it? And can you think of something more complicated than this? I, I, I definitely can't think of anything in the U S that touches as many people. Right. Um, I mean, I, you know, India had their digital ID program. That was a, a massive program, right? Uh, the scale of that, you know, was, you know, an order of magnitude two more people, but as far as like the U.S. goes, I can't think of anything that is as as beastly, right? I mean, it, you know, it touches so many Americans, and it's so bad. <laughs> and and if you kind of drill uh, into it, what's interesting here is like there's essentially, and so other people are going to know more about it, but there's essentially an individual master file IMF, which I guess is like an essential key component to the how the entire system runs, and it is sixty years old. It is described as the authoritative data source, and it is uh, they've been trying to essentially, if you will, upgrade it or re-architect it for at least a decade now. Uh, now, the last time, the target completion date that they've announced now is 2030, right? So they've basically tried a bunch of times, given up. Now they're saying it's 2030. Um, and so like, this kind of like makes me think of, like, I don't know, you never want to be like too pessimistic, but I was, I was thinking to myself, like, is this even possible to do because the other thing that's here we won't make this a political podcast we'll just say that you know not all parties are on board with like getting the system up to date right so basically you have different policies you have different political views so there's certain you know parts of the government that don't even want the irs to like you know I don't want to say doing anything, but they, they're not interested in it working more effectively. So, so I think to myself, it's like, uh, and as far, as far as numbers, I, this was also kind of startling to see is that, uh, taxpayers paid 4.1 trillion. That's T T trillion dollars of taxes. And I, and I guess, uh, taxpayers were refunded 1.1 trillion dollars. So it's not like money is the issue here. It's like, you have tons of money coming in. You've got a bunch of refunds going out and you've got a rather large budget is actually applied to this. So it's not like, you know, there's not enough, but like, I think this comes down to like, can you even install a leadership to figure out what's going on? How does it even actually work? Um, so I guess kind of back to my original question is like, do you think ultimately it it's a, a lost cause or is there somebody out there that can come in and, and make the system work? Well, it, it, it can't be a lost cause. <laughs> I mean, I mean, this is the sort of project like you you can't 
actually give up on this because, um, you know, this is a, a major source of funding for the United States government. And <laughs> um, I mean, the, this article is just, it's full of, of chef's kiss quotes, right? I mean, a, a private company with tens of millions of customers would go belly up if their IT was older than the CEO's parents. I mean, wow. But I mean, part of, part of me thinks back to like, well, you know, you had uh, uh, the the uh, digital agencies that you know were formed under like Obama and stuff that wanted to come in and reform some of they, they didn't you know they, they didn't do the IRS they they went over to like you know some of the the other agencies and updated their IT and you know th- those were fairly successful and you've seen that emulated in, in other countries uh, Australia has has similar you know success stories. Um, and, and some of the folks behind like, you know, DevOps days in Australia were like movers and shakers in that circle. And then over, and in the US, like Jez Humble was part of that for a, uh, a while. Mm-hmm. And so maybe, maybe you could try to like do something like that. Well, and they the do IRS, mention this but, in the but, article. Oh, well, they, they mention it, but, but, you know, reading through the lines, I'm like, all I smell is Accenture, right? I, I'm like, you know, this is just probably wrapped up and like huge consulting shops that are going to like just suck the government, you know, dry year after year and have nothing to show for it. I mean, you know that, you know, IBM, Deloitte, Accenture, they're all just in there making money hand over fist and selling them, you know, COBOL 14 versions behind because they upgraded it, you know, from 15 behind. And it's like, that's probably not the right tack. I, th- I think the right tack is probably... You know, as my very uninformed outsider viewpoint of this is like, look, you throw some APIs on this, you you know <laughs> replicate the data, you start the strangler pattern, and you start killing off things like this, you know, IMS or whatever. Um, and you know, I don't care what database you put on the back end, but it's like you can you can tackle these sorts of projects. It's just, um, I think I think the sorts of people who are or, you know, the sorts of shops that are doing the work are there to get a contract, staff it with some high, good quality architects, and then those people walk away and they replace it with, you know, the year one employees who, you know, don't have the the, the skills to be here. I, I mean, this is a massive, massive project. You need a large skilled team who are in it for the long haul. Um, when you, when you, uh, you know, there was a, uh, an interview with, um, the product manager for Amazon's billing team. And, you know, bill, AWS billing is probably one of the largest private, you know, private compute projects on the planet. <laughs> that is not an exaggeration. I mean, yeah, they're dealing with, it. you know, billions of data points a second. And one of the points he made in the interview was the fact that most of the team has been there for seven or eight years. You know, they are, they, people show up and they're like, this is like the most God awful problem. And I love it. And Amazon pays those people well. They are getting like experts in their field. They're making sure that these people are, you know, incented to stay. And you know, that's not happening at the IRS. The government isn't paying well, or, you know, they're, they're farming it out to consulting shops who the consulting shops make a lot of money and then they don't bring in high quality staff. And so like, you're not going to solve this problem with the current approach. Yeah. And I think to that end, I mean, a couple of uh, facts here from the article kind of stick out from things you said there. So uh, one, it says the IRS had 21 IT modernization initiatives as of August, 2022. And they said the GA reported that more than a quarter of them did not have timeframes for addressing antiquated systems. And they go on to say, you know, the IRS lacks accountability for com- completing uh, these key elements. And I think that's the part where I think, you're kind of hitting on. And I think maybe the Amazon uh, billing team is instructive here. It's like, I think you have to basically completely rethink it, uh, at least how the government wants to do things. Like in this case, I think if someone said, hey, you know, I'm in charge, I'd be like, we need to view this as like a 20-year project. And we need to start mm-hmm. recruiting people and training people that really want to spend a good chunk of their career working on this, right? And I think that would be have to be a combination of like, obviously, financial incentives, maybe something along with job security and also just, I don't know if you will, like flexibility and where they work or opening different places. Like you've got to basically look at it and be like, 
you know, this is the, it's almost the opposite of hiring the quote unquote Stanford graduate that wants to like start a new company and, you know, change the world. It's like, you're looking for someone like, I want you to come in and apply good, sound software engineering practices that are well-known against legacy systems. I want you to learn some of the legacy systems and at least help us convert it. And I want you to do it over a decade. And during that, and if we can do that, right, I'm not going to ask you to work 80 hours a week or like, you know, you know, push for some giant launch. I want to just make consistent progress so that this IMF file, you know, we finally, if you will, unlock it, right? You know what I mean? And right. I think you've got to like build a whole organization around it. And it can't be, to your point, like it can't be consultants who are kind of coming in and out, getting their two or three years of, you know, post-grad training, right, from Accenture, then moving on. The on. Um, like, you know, <laughs> well, it's kind of what happens, right? It's like we need, you know, people that are really committed to it. And I think, and I also don't think you can, if you will, expect people to do it sort of like um, on this kind of like, well, I've made all my money, right, and now I'm coming back to give back. It's like, no, like we need to look at this as like a really important job that is got has to make appeal to maybe a different type of person, but it has to appeal to someone that's going to stay with it for a while. And I think until you do that, it does feel like something that will just cycle through and just repeat over and over again. Well, and, and, you know, we, we don't want to make this a political thing, but you have, you have a lot of people who demonize the government period. And like, you know, having now, now, now not living in the U S and seeing a, like a government that isn't hated by, you know, half the population <laughs> and su- works surprisingly amazingly. Right. I mean, like, you know, all the things that, you know, I, I don't dread going to the the DMV, you know, because when I get there, it's like, this, this place is run very well and everyone's polite and, you know, the tech is great and like things move along quickly. And when it doesn't, you kind of understand why, you know, and, and and comparison, like my wife went to the DMV in Austin while we were there over Christmas and it took three hours. Right. Right. Um, and that was just nuts. You know, here it was like we made an appointment online, showed up and we're out in 15 minutes. And it just, you know, magically things happen. And I think so, you know, you do have things like the U.S. Digital Service where people are, you know, signing up to help their country and they're trying to like be more tech forward on, on some of the stuff but the problem the problem for this story though is it's the irs which you know people have been like brought up to hate on and like you can't have it both ways you can't be patriotic and hate your government <laughs> yeah and i think what you're getting to and i think the only way you know to maybe come at it from a, the most neutral perspective would be trying to separate the policy discussions from the implementation, like, like exactly. just fundamentally having the conversation, like, listen, this, this government needs to collect taxes and we're all part of the, you know, citizens of it. And we want that to be efficient we want it to be accurate and we want it to be relatively painless because we're all consumers of paying taxes at some point. Well, and, and, we, and, and you should want it to be efficient because as a person paying taxes, because it's so bad, yep. you have to pay more. Right. Because you're basically overpaying for it. And so so the point is, like, I think that's, I guess, maybe the hardest part. And I guess some kind of leader sort of like trying to separate these. It's almost idea of the civil servants versus the, you know, the policy kind of side of it. It's like, hey, we want this to run well and we need this to run well. We can still have like what the exact policies are. That conversation probably will never end and will always be a policy discussion. But until someone says like, hey, I really do want this system to run well you know, you really are going to be in a, a difficult position to ever making it, you know, better in any way. And it's like, you know, when you see these numbers, right, like 60 years, 70 years, it's like, it does make me feel like our children will be doing a podcast about this, Matt, uh, and they will be, we will, you know, maybe it'll be software defined talk episode, you know, 2,500. And they'll be like, can you believe the, the IMF file is 150 years old or whatever it will be by then? And it's like, <laughs> Yeah, it's like it's the only other thing I could think of was would be um, because if this was a large corporation, we'd almost say something like, well, the way large corporation systems eventually get changed is the the companies literally go away. Right. The companies go away or get acquired. It's like it can't go away. Yeah. The only thing I can think of is like unless someone like radically rewrote the tax code and was like, hey, we're starting out with a completely different version. It's super simple. And it's this like you're always going to be stuck with this legacy system. So um, so I don't know. This is just one that. 
uh, as I said before, and I'd, I'd love for the listeners, if anyone uh, knows of like a more complicated uh, project, like, oh, this IRS problem's nothing. You ought to see this one because I really do like think it's, it's a fascinating one to watch, right? Like, where's it going to go? What's going to happen? And, and really, like, this is maybe one of the few uh, programs I've ever seen where I'm like, I'm even questioning, like, can it be done? Right. Like, I think literally, can it be done is a is an interesting question, because maybe the most pessimistic is like nothing's ever going to change. All you can do is just kind of patch together this crazy system and, you know, just do your best to keep it up, which is I don't know. It's just someone that works in technology and sort of information technology. It's like it's kind of sad if we can't make this simple. You know, what are we doing? I say go after the the AWS uh, billing guy. <laughs> I like it. I like you know, it. I mean, I mean, it's that's probably the sort not of a thing. bad you, place to start, right? You know, yeah, I like. Yeah, I mean, you 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 appeal to, and I don't even know. Uh, you you appeal to their patriotism, and you have to pay them better because you know you know the IRS doesn't pay well, and and maybe maybe you let you let them work in you know the digital service agency instead of for the IRS. So they don't have people like, you know, giving them a hard time. That See, that's the problem is like people demonizing the civil servants when it's the politicians that yeah. deserve your hate. Um, and so like, you know, there there's a stigma to just even working at the IRS, you know, or even working for the government, which is just it shouldn't be that way. Right. We, we need we need smart people to be motivated to want to work for the government to fix these sorts of things. We want to have like a functional government um, rather than just like, you know, this hemorrhaging system that like, I mean, literally the Australian tax office is the same size as the IRS. Yeah. yeah, And that's just wrong. It's crazy. Um, But, but, uh, or my, my taxes are like, two pages and you know it, it's it's everything is just so much simpler here uh and you know they, they take a big chunk but um you you just you 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 feel like you're getting a lot more value for your dollars uh when your government is not like perpetually broke and the way it, the government does not go away so you have to fix this i mean you can't just say like well you know private equity will t- take this over and fix it and uh just sunset like no <laughs> The the government does not go away. You know, the government goes away in your Somalia, right? (laughs) Well, listen. uh, Please, please fix this. Yeah, I agree. Now, um, a person unlikely to get involved in this, in fixing this, I think, I'm going to go so far as to make this prediction. I think uh, DHH, I don't think DHH has taken over the IRS. I don't think he has any interest in that. But DHH is back um, because we talked a lot about him last week. And I, you know, hesitated to even put this in the show notes, but then there's just too many comments in the Slack. So uh, he's back. Uh, 37 Signals is back, and they have now introduced – what is the f- official pronunciation? Is it Maersk? Am I saying that correctly? It's got to be Maersk, like the company. Okay, M-R-S-K. And, uh, Matt, maybe I'll just – like, I'll just put my cards on the table. This this entire project just makes me angry. Like, I just, like, I have, like, a bad reaction to it. So I want to, like, you know, I'm, you're going to maybe be some therapy for me. I want to, like – come at it with an open mind and I want, you know, you have a ton of experience in, you know, the whole world of configuration management before I just in my, before I reflexively just start, you know, ranting on about like, this is the wrong direction. Let's, let's go in with an open mind. So maybe you can give us a quick uh, overview is what exactly does uh, Maersk do? So um, Maersk is essentially a uh, job scheduler built on top of SSH and Docker which probably sounds slightly familiar. Um, you have a centralized location where you push out uh, your jobs to, you know, a waiting machine, you know, hosts that are running Docker and they will run your machines for you. Um, this is like, you know, circa the year Kubernetes came out level technology. All right, now um, let's pause here, like, because the way, let's be very generous here. Like, the reason DHH gave for launching it was that essentially, like, Kubernetes is too complicated, right? And they had some experience trying to run it. And for those that are looking for a more simplified way of, if you will, managing and deploying their containers, Maersk is the solution. Like, it did I, again, I'm just trying to, like, I just want to state the premise as clearly as possible. Is that, did I, uh, 
is that inaccurate in any way, at least from the DHH's position in the uh, blog he wrote? Yeah, sure. I mean, essentially, yes, it, it, it's accurate because it solves his problem, <laughs> you know, but, but this is the, this is the problem. Like when, when Kubernetes came out, um, there were dozens of these, you know, probably hundreds, you know, everyone had written some sort of, you know, scheduler on top of containers to spray a bunch of stuff onto a bunch of machines. And um, AWS had one. Um, you know, uh, you know, Docker various, Swarm, of course, that was brought Docker up Docker Swarm, times. of course, mm-hmm. you know, and, 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 and people, you know, got excited about Docker. Um, they were like, you know, oh, if I put a schedule on this and spray it to a bunch of machines. And, and so, you know, there, there was, that was happening. And, you know, Google kind of showed up with Kubernetes and said, like, look, we've been doing this for, you know, 10 10 plus years, uh, you're going to need something that looks like this. Here's the thing that we started called Kubernetes. And Kubernetes killed a lot of those projects because, um, oh, and, and of course, Mesos. Um, you know, Kubernetes killed a lot of those projects because uh, it had, it had you know, the, the groundswell of open source behind it. Um, you know, it had all the licensing, right? And the CNCF and, and, and fun things like that. Um, but it also had the approach of being of of having a lot of the foresight for for you know these are the issues you're going to run into um we're you know we're going to make everything you know have nice apis and make it composable so when you need to face those problems you know we'll you know we might not have it ready but we have like you know the the composable infrastructure so you can plug that stuff in and so when some people look at Kubernetes, they're like, this thing's a monster, right? It does, you know, too many things. And then you have other people, you know, like Kote, who are like, I thought Docker did that, or I thought Kubernetes did that. <laughs> and the answer is like, yes, Kubernetes does that. No, Kubernetes doesn't do that. Because you have to build up these structures to solve these problems for everyone. Um, and so when when DHA shows up, he's like, look, I, I, I wrote something better than Kubernetes because it solved my problem. Right, right. And that's and the as part opposed that does... to a general purpose, you know, platform. Right, but I think that's the whole, that's that's the distinction, I guess. That's sort of like I don't know. I guess I do just sort of like have a, a visceral re- reaction to. There's a difference between like I've written some tools that I think are good for what I do, right? And like we can talk about, it and maybe we'll in a minute. Like, yeah, homegrown tools, and I'm stealing, I think, from Justin Garrison or someone else said it. it's like you know, basically, you know. Uh, the biggest lock-in is always your homegrown tools, right? Like, and the people always worry about vendor lock-in, but it's like, hey, if you start writing a lot of your own tools and you can't get away from them, that's almost the worst kind of lock-in, right? So, so you got to think about that. But like, it's it's again, it's fine. We all write some of our own scripts. We all like, you know, have some things that make our lives a little bit easier. But I think it's a whole nother thing. Like when you kind of launch it as, out as like, this is the better way, right? And this is like, you know, everyone that's not doing it this way for this kind of use case is, is, is doesn't, you know, doesn't get it. I don't know. That's the part that I guess, like, just, I don't know, it just irritates me. And I know they've had, you know, a ton of success with Ruby on Rails. Like, I, you know, there's nothing I can sit here and it's like, I didn't write Ruby on Rails. I, I think most people, I don't know, Matt, you're in a better position to say it certainly has its place. It's, it was oh, yeah. very popular no, I, for I, a long I, period I'm of time. I'm a fan. Be- still, because it glues a bunch of still, it, it yeah. glues a bunch of things together. Still and it has used a today, a lot of people way. like yeah. it, right? But it's sort of like I just feel like maybe we get a little bit of halo effect. It's like, oh, I did this for Ruby on Rails, and now I'm going to go do this for you know whatever. Let's call it container scheduling. And it's like, I don't know. Part of me is like, hey, you know, a lot of people have been working on this for a long time, and there's lots of different ways to do it. And, you know, and, and this coupled with the whole like anti-cloud stance, it's like, well, one way to get around, you know, dealing with Kubernetes is to use a managed version of it, right? Well, we already know, and we've already heard, you know, the long rant from DHH about like why that's not right and why you should do everything yourself, right? But now, you know, and we heard a lot about cost savings and we talked about that extensively on the last episode, but now it's like, to me, it's like, well, you said you're going to save $7 million, but now you're starting to build a lot of your own tools, which are going to require a lot of maintenance, right? And probably what usually happens, and you know, we see this over and over, is that like eventually your requirements change and you start to grow to the quote-unquote more complicated thing, right? Your app gets bigger. You want to do more maybe, things. I, I, mm-hmm. I mean, to play devil's advocate, like he doesn't have to, right? He, he knows what his business looks like. He doesn't have to like add features to this. That's what makes me mad is he thinks that his little subset of features – 
is the same thing. He's like, you know, oh, I don't need Kubernetes because I have this. It's like, well, shit, I didn't need Kubernetes either because I have SSH. But, you know, that's not the same thing. It's like, you know, I don't need I don't need containers and virtualization because I have a big server that will run my app. It's like, but no, you know, you're 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 you know, you're gaslighting what you know what you're solving here it's like yes you neatly solved your little problem you open sourced it it's got a cute project name um and you know but this has no longevity in the face of you know nomad and kubernetes and and things like that it's like i would i would i, w- I wouldn't touch this right and, now, unless, and I think maybe you, you should take a few minutes because i think you i think uh again i'm referencing justin garrison's uh twitter thread you know i think you know justin especially like really you know i think he's very very smart in this area maybe smart in general of course but aws and just uh containers in general and i think many people immediately came out and were like hey this this is really you should be using nomad so maybe forever for all the rest of us like give us the quick like who's behind nomad and what does nomad do so Nomad is is a container scheduler uh, from uh, the the folks at HashiCorp, and it's it's open source. Um, you know, it uh, uh, has a much smaller footprint than Kubernetes because it does a lot less than Kubernetes. And for a lot of use cases, uh, people are like, "This is fine." You know, I don't need you know all that extra functionality. I just need something that is lightweight, schedules my containers, puts them on machines. And, you know, reports back. And so you see, uh, I think, like, maybe it was a cosmonic, you know, some of the, the um, I've, I've seen a couple of SaaS providers recently say, like, you know, oh, we didn't actually need Kubernetes. We needed something more lightweight. We went with Nomad. There are people who are happy not to run the full Kubernetes stack. Um, and, you know, Nomad has existed in that space for quite a while. Yeah, and so I just uh, want to pause here because I think not only that, but like it's well documented. It has a pretty active community. It has, I think, a lot of smart people looking at it. And everything that you just said, like to me, all the requirements of Mersk like are basically fulfilled with Nomad. I mean, I guess you know someone's going to tell me there's well, something that isn't right, but like, but, but, this but just even seems if like Nomad the place didn't to exist, start. go ahead. It's like what. Why not K3S, right? It, you know, uh, that's that's what I use. And it's like, it's fine. It does, you know, half the stuff that Kubernetes does, you know, be, it's still Kubernetes though. And, and so what, what you're going to end up with is like this bespoke custom app that, you know, nobody uses. You can't hire anybody to understand. And, you know, they'll probably start rejecting PRs when people show up with like, oh, can you support this and this and this? Because I do that in Kubernetes. And they're like, no. It was like, of course the answer is no, right? I mean, SSH in a for loop is great, but it's not config management. And Maersk is not, you know, yes, it's a container scheduler, but, you know, it's still based off a lot of stuff that isn't particularly great at, you know, everything. And that, that's kind of the point of Kubernetes. Like, well, you know, they're doing their best to solve everything. Um, and there are lightweight alternatives, you know, whether it's, you know, a subset of Kubernetes like K3S or, you know, alternatives that are still trying to be, you know, generally useful with a not long open source history like Nomad. Um, but to just show up and like, oh, look, I solved a problem. It's like, yeah, you did and a hundred other companies and everyone stopped working on that, you know, when they saw the writing on the wall. And that's what's annoying. Yeah. And I guess yeah. the other part, I guess to me, I guess the thing that kind of annoys me too is the sort of like, I guess it's not so much him personally, but it's just around... This is why at times I feel like we don't ever make progress. It's just like every, you know, it's like we're fragmenting ourselves again. It's like, okay, people going back, you know, this is like one of the themes of Cote's newsletter a lot, at least more recently, it's just been like, hey, like we kind of keep reinventing the thing and that's fine. New is good, but like at some point we want to make progress forward. And like this kind of project, and also because he has a big megaphone, you know, it'd be one thing if you are, I just launched it, no one would care. No one would look at it, just be some other random scripts in uh, GitHub, you know, no big deal. But it's going to like, you know, a lot of people are going to talk about it. We're talking about it, you know, unfortunately, unfortunately, depending on what you think of it. And it's sort of just going to become a distraction to me. And it's, and it seems like plenty of other ways to solve this problem. And I guess I just wanted to mention, I guess, what is the other thing that came up a lot? Was it Capistrano? Am I getting that name right? Yeah, that, yeah, um, Capistrano. That, yeah, I don't just, know. That's, Go ahead. I, I mean, Capistrano is just a, you know, a way to send stuff across a bunch of machines. And I mean, it's a cessation of for loop. That's, that's what a lot of, you know, a lot of early chef deployments were done with Capistrano because you needed to like 
run a command on a bunch of machines um, or, you know, spray some packages across a bunch of machines. And, you know, I, I think in the blog post, he was like, yeah, this isn't much different than Capistrano. And, you know, okay. Uh, you've, you know, why didn't you use Capistrano? Whatever. You know, why didn't you use, uh, you know, one of the other SSH tools? Why didn't you just use Ansible, right? Because that's <laughs> essentially what this is. Yeah, there was a funny comment. I'll just, I will not name the user. I was like, so is this one Ansible script or two Ansible scripts? That was one of the many comments in the software defined talk exactly. Slack uh, this week. So I, you know, I guess maybe the takeaway here is like, I don't know. I just think everything about this is wrong, right? There are other solutions to this problem. I mean, I don't know what else to say it. Like, I just feel like there are other Everything solutions. Everything about this is wrong. It is. It just feels that way. It's like there are other solutions to this problem. There are other ways to get involved in it. I think it's, it's a distraction. And then just for the 37 singles business, like but, I'm always but just Brandon, like, Brandon, uh-huh. those weren't invented here. I know. Like, that's the whole thing. But you know what's funny? is like they've done so much writing at 37 Signals about like focus and focus on the customer and making money and running a lifestyle business. And it's like. I just like none of this seemed like like we never you know what's what's funny about all of this is like we never see anything from DHH around like here's some new features of hey like you know we've we've made this better we've made that better like you know focus on the specific well, that, that, that's because uh, they're in the private equity cost cutting business now <laughs> that's what I think though but I just like why isn't there anything about like hey we implemented some other great things in email and if you haven't tried hey now you know you should go uh, go get it right and it's like it's all this internal cost cutting internal tools built built a new Dell service and, and this from the same group of people that uh, I think they wrote rework, right? Which is like a super short book. And it's got like all these really short chapters and a lot of it's like focus on making money and things like that. And it's all of this seems like a distraction. So I don't know. I mean, I, I feel like I, I need to make a personal pledge. We will not talk about DHH for at least, you know, at least but, a but, month you know, or, this, or something. This is gold because <laughs> this accompanies like the entire software industry. <laughs> That's true. So maybe in the end, he, it's just good podcast content. Like, I guess maybe, maybe that's what I should be happy about is just every week he, I can come on and just like, there'll be something I am unhappy about. So, uh, so yeah, so we're going to add some links to Mersk in the thing. And I, I recommend you don't click on them. Don't click on them. Don't try it. Just, just go. <laughs> no, no, whatever you're doing. And think about it as like, if you saw this and, and, you know, in, in 2015, you'd be like, oh, yeah, I see what you were doing there. That's why we switched. And I did. I watched the 20 minute demo. It's 20 minutes of my life. I will not get oh, back. Oh, you watched the and demo. Wow. I, I, I did. I, well, because I was like, I read, maybe this is great. I read the read me and I was yeah, like, I see what yeah. you're doing here. No, thank you. <laughs> That's great. So, all right. Well, uh, Matt, there was some other news. We'll, we'll touch on just very briefly here. One, um, you know, there's all this craziness going on in Twitter. We're not going to get into it. But a thing I thought was funny is that Twitter essentially is declaring, uh, Slack bankruptcy. They basically are going to reset it. So they had 88,188 channels in their Slack, and I guess they're just resetting nice. it. They're just deleting all of those or archiving them and uh, starting over, which on, this may be the only thing I've seen recently from Twitter that I agree with. Sometimes it's just like, yeah, let's just start over. Like the, the Slack's out of control. But the thing that I think is funny is like they may have 88,188 uh, Slack channels. But my question is, do they have a thread in Slack that's over 9,000 messages uh, long? So congratulations to everyone that's in the Software Defined Talk uh, Slack and those that are actually in the thread. So this is a thread we've had going that you started, Matt. Once you're in the uh, thread, you can't leave. Yeah, once you're there. That's the beauty of it. You started Once it, you've, you've posted to it, you get notified. Several years ago. post to it. Um, yes. You unintentionally started this, I should say, too. This wasn't something we started. Oh, it just, yeah. It took yeah. on a life of its own. So it just went over 9,000 messages. Uh, of course, you can only read back through, you know, several hundred or because, you know, it eventually uh, uh, gets archived in, in the free plan. So every once in a while, uh, Slack gives us the, the enterprise plan. You can go back and read. From the very beginning, you can get all 9,000. <laughs> it's like once a year, you can go back and get all 9,000 messages. But uh, if you haven't already joined the Software Defined Talk Slack, what you should do is go to softwaredefinedtalk.com. Uh, there, you should just click on Slack, and you can you can sign up. And if you are so interested, you can reply to the thread. Um, I don't even know what the subject is right now. I think it was a little bit about interviewing this week. You can get in there, and you can be part yeah. of the 9,000 messages. And we believe we have headroom to 20,000. That's what we've been told. So I think we yeah. think we had about 10,000 more messages before the thread will probably just die or the Slack instance will no longer take it. So um, so take that, Elon Musk. You know, you know, you have 88,000 channels, but we have 9,000 messages in the thread. Now, uh, a few other things here. Uh, so 
a few shout outs to listeners. Um, a bunch of people wanted stickers this week, which has been fantastic. So I sent stickers to Frank in the Netherlands, you know, over there by Cote. Also sent some stickers to both Chris in Allen, Texas and Simon in the UK. They both wrote in saying they got new laptops. So I love that. The fact that people not only getting new laptops, maybe it's like, I don't know, new physical year. A lot of places people getting some new laptops, uh, but I love that people will think like, yeah, I got to replace my stickers. So happy to send them some stickers. And I also sent stickers to William in Florida and he said he needed one for his thermos and his bike. So yeah, the laptop stickers, but you, know, you can use them for whatever you want. A thermos, a bike, you know, a baby stroller. I don't know. You know, just... I say get 10 stickers, put them on 10 different things. That's what we do. Uh, so if you would like a sticker, all you have to do is email your postal address to stickers at softwaredefinedtalk.com, and I'll be happy to send you a sticker anywhere in the world. And I also want to thank David. He emailed from Hawaii, uh, of all places, to uh, give us a little bit more information about eggs. So he was sort of reiterating what we did learn about the refrigerated versus unrefrigerated. It's all about if you know what's your approach to uh, containing disease. No updates on what's going on in New Zealand. Matt, you haven't had. I want to know what's happening in Hawaii, because like like uh, Kauai, there's like chickens everywhere. Are they? Well, it's so funny, right? Because he he emailed over the weekend, and I was just like, I was in he basically in a signature said Hawaii, and I was like, oh my gosh, you're in Hawaii, that sounds awesome. And he was like, yeah, I basically lived there for a long time, basically moved away, came back. He says he really likes it, but there's not a lot of tech jobs. But I guess you know, I guess if you're working, but if you can work remote. Yeah. Yeah, but Better I did think of this, man. I, you know, this is funny. Like, you're so far in Australia. And, like, anytime I tell someone you, like, you live in Australia, and I'm sure you hear this online, people are like, oh, that's awesome. Sydney's awesome. But I was like, what is better, living in Hawaii or living in Sydney, Australia? I was like, I don't know. Living in Hawaii sounds pretty cool, but it seems like it would also maybe like you get island fever pretty quick. So I don't know. I, I should ask you, Matt, if I, if I could move the, the family, all expenses paid right now to Hawaii, would the family be in or are you all settled in Sydney and Sydney's where you want to be? Uh, I don't know. Cause, uh, cause, cause probably I'm thinking, uh, having been to Hawaii quite a few times, I, I would, I would up for the big Island, but then I, you know, Island fever could be like a real thing. Cause you know, there's, limited stuff you could do and and like or you could choose honolulu you know to go mm-hmm. or you know wahoo for, for all the benefits of the big island but or, or of a big city not on the big island but i don't know I, i'm well, let me ask you this like quite, you have i feel like hawaii like you've made more stops to hawaii because like how far is the flight from sydney to hawaii for you it's it's like, still 10 and a half hours. okay still pretty far i was gonna say because i feel like you've met some family there whatever that's been like a meeting oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. at yeah. different times right where it's like because yes. it's obviously even from austin i think it's eight hours so it's a it's a long way so i don't know i guess it's not really that close i was like well maybe like you know that's sort of like you know closer than certainly the u.s so well you know i guess we'll just say david uh we're you know we appreciate the information about eggs but at this point we just want to know about how we can all live in hawaii with you so call us call us let us know if there's a, a place to stay now uh upcoming and in fact next week uh there's going to be some conferences so matt you and kote are going to be at the southern california linux expo which is also known yes. as scale so matt and kote will be there um unknown there'll probably be some live recording i've green lighted uh with the software defined talk cfo like we've got we've got plenty of uh happy hour budget matt so you know go out there buy some drinks for people if you would like uh to re- still register for the conference you probably probably got to do it fast i don't know when they're closing registration but i imagine it's soon you can use I, the- i'm sure they have like day of registration. day of well you should day use the code is a relaxed event Okay, you should use the code DEVOP, so it's just D-E-V-O-P, and I was told that you can get a really good discount for that, so... You know, so check that one out. Also, some conferences coming up here. You got Pi Texas, that's April first and second. KubeCon EU, also Software Defined Talk is going to have a presence there. I think we are a media sponsor. I think Matt and Cote will be there. I'm sure we'll talk about that one as it gets closer. We've got DevOps Days Birmingham, that's Alabama. Roll Tide, Roar Eagle, that's April 20 and 21st, and then DevOps Day Austin, actually fast approaching. That will be May 4th and 5th. Uh, and also, Matt wanted to give you a few moments. Matt is a star. He's a podcast star. He's been making the rounds uh, on all the, the major podcasts. Matt, why don't you tell us a, a few of the podcasts you've recently uh, appeared on? Uh, well, um, it's, it's been a busy uh, two months of the year so far. Uh, I, I was on, um, well, you know, obviously I did the, our friends over at the Cloudcast. Um, uh, I did that. I did uh, open open obs- observability talks, which I'm sure you you really just wanted me to say observability observability because it's so hard for me to say uh but i'm not going to call it monitoring um <laughs> i did that podcast which was a lot of fun and uh you know and some of the ones that 
got recorded last year showed up uh, recently in the feed. So uh, yeah, and in uh, fact, recording. the one uh, was Software uh, Engineering Daily, right? That was uh, our good friend George. That was at KubeCon. Yeah, was one, and, but he's uh, well. It just recently came out, Matt. Don't don't you know? We gotta like keep the the listeners, uh, you know, in the dark. Yeah, yeah. Just qu- quietly. Hey, it, it was, it's timeless content. It's timeless content. So you should listen if you want to uh, hear Jordy, who's been a longtime listener of the show, uh, interview Matt. Uh, in a, a wide ranging conversation, you should check that out. So, um, all the links for those shows probably will be in the show notes. It's up to Matt if he puts them in or not. We'll see. And if not, you should email Matt directly. <laughs> no, I will go track them um, down and put them in the notes. You, you should update Matt directly or ask him directly, uh, and he'll send you all the links. Now, uh, a few other things. So, I'll go ahead. Uh, so, the recommendation Matt already gave away my recommendation since we were talking about some media stuff. I did uh, the new Formula One season starting this week. I'm all in. I love Formula One, been watching it a ton. Uh, so, if you're new to the sport and or you just like scripted television or i guess reality tv if you will watch drive to survive season five so you can get up to date on all everything that's happening learn all the drivers learn all the teams you can pick all the teams uh who you want to cheer for or pick a driver you want to cheer for uh tech is sponsoring a ton of them so if you're an aws you can cheer for ferrari i think vmware's mclaren uh oracle is red bull i think those two have like a persona that kind of like match up they're kind of like you know the, the evil doers that are real successful. So anyway, there's tons of uh, drama in there in the first races this weekend. So uh, you can watch the series and then you can watch the race and you can, uh, you know, if, if you are so inclined, you can go uh, subscribe to formula one and watch it wherever you are in the world. So with all having said all that, Matt, what's your recommendation? Um, my recommendation this week is uh, something I've recommended before. Um, if, if you play the video game Factorio, which it's highly addictive. I recommend, uh, maybe you don't, I don't know. I, I, I come in and out of, of being addicted to it. Uh, there's, there's a, uh, expansion thing called uh, story, uh, story mode that, um, I had, uh, or the story missions and, you know, I just felt like replaying it and recently replayed it. And I found out my name's in the, the, the credits, uh, because I opened a lot of bug reports. Uh, oh, really? <laughs> Which which just cracks me up. Anytime I see my name anywhere, I'm always just like, that's hilarious. You know, so uh, that's my pick is, uh, you know, throw that guy a couple bucks on Patreon because uh, it's uh, it's a labor of love. That's awesome. Well, Matt, you'll have to get us a screenshot of your name or something. We'll have to somehow uh, find some way to put it on <laughs> I, I did a double take because I was just like clicking through the credits. I was like, wait, did I see my name? And then I had to like rerun it. So that's awesome. Well, good for you, man. Yeah. Yeah, I didn't know. I mean, you, not only are you on uh, a, a podcast guest, a famous person for that, you're a, a famous person for Factorio as well. That's that's uh, fantastic. I, I blame so. JJ. All right. Well, uh, if this was the first time you've heard Software Defined Talk, welcome. You can probably subscribe right now on the podcast player you're listening to. Uh, if you want to follow us on any of the social channels, you should go to softwaredefinedtalk.com. And then we've got Twitter, Twitch, Instagram, Mastodon, LinkedIn, YouTube, you name it. We've got it. You can watch us uh, record this live, usually pretty much on Wednesdays afternoons for the most part. Or you can go back and, uh, you know, if you will, see behind the scenes of this highly produced, uh, well-organized podcast. No one would believe there's just chaos behind the scenes. And with that, we will talk to you next time. Bye-bye. You know, as long as a human can kind of wrap their minds around it, (laughs) I don't want to call it AI. Stuff just shows up and you're like, oh, well, you know, I'm locked into this for six weeks. Are you ready? I'm ready. Let's do this.